I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as ghosts, ghouls, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. Tell me, why do we always do the Haunted House episodes when my wife and kids are out of town and I have to watch them by myself and get freaked out? I don't know, but I wasn't alone this time, so this one's all on you. Yeah, it was Paranormal Activity last year, and now we did Haunted Houses this year. <laughs> but you don't have a basement, so you got that going for you. No, but I got the creepy Toby attic, so <laughs> that was more frightening during Paranormal Activity. So, But guys, we're back with episode 43 on Haunted Houses. We're recording this on June the 15th, 2020, and uh, like usual, we had too many damn movies we wanted to choose between so we're actually going to make this a two-parter right yeah we're not backed up on recording several weeks like usual so uh i don't have as much horror news it is interesting that there is an evil dead 4 being made not by sam raimi and uh without bruce campbell so i don't know what to think of that but Apparently, Sam and Bruce picked Lee Cronin to make the movie personally, and from what I had seen, he had made some foreign horror films, and he hasn't done a whole lot, so he must be really cool. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to have to wait and see on this one. That's my take. We are going to see it, though, right? Well, duh, if it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. From everything I've seen from the guy online, it looks like he makes Irish horror movies. We'll just have to see how it translates to Evil Dead. So, Yeah. I am sad we're not getting a Fidi Alvarez sequel, though. Yeah, that's what I wanted. Sequel to the reboot. Yeah, that would have been good. Ash and Mia meeting up would have been fucking awesome. Yes. Well, it's so obvious. Why did? Anyways, (laughs) we'll get mad and pine over this for like twenty minutes straight. So I'll let it go. (laughs) (laughs) At least we got the Ash versus Evil Dead TV show. So we did. There are things about it that are just terrible, and I still love it. It's terrible in a good way, though. (laughs) Kind of like the Bill and Ted trailer I saw this week. yes what what did i text you that you only saw half of you said it looks terrible and i can't wait to see it <laughs> i know this isn't necessarily horror related but uh goddamn if that's not a genre flick by definition <laughs> yeah a genre unto itself but we've got uh oh what's his nuts back again is death too so h- how can we not go see it will sadler sure <laughs> Before we dive in this episode, I am going to preface it with, uh, once again, we're not recording under completely normal circumstances. I'm in yet again a different spot. And apparently they're running a concrete machine outside and this chair makes more noise than I thought. We're just going to wing it. Yeah. And I'm sweaty and not turning my air conditioner off. So did you manage to watch anything other than what we're covering? Yes, but not a whole lot of new stuff. I am almost finished with a Sabrina show on Netflix. So that's been kind of fun. And my friend Lance is staying with me because he's working with me for the summer. And since he lives in Florida and I don't get to see him that often, we're going back and watching shit that I've always told him about. Like we watched Leslie Vernon yesterday. Ah, okay. Which never gets old. So (laughs) I'm going back and and doing a bit of that. But other than that, I mean, it's just just been podcast stuff. And and I'm finally back working in the office. So that's kind of been different as well. So what you're saying is you still haven't watched Ready or Not. Nope, but it's on our list. <laughs> I finally watched Creep Show, the uh, the new Creep Show. Did you like it? It started off cool and then kind of slumped, and then when we got to the fat eating worm things, I was I was in again. But uh, <laughs> uh, all in all, it was all right. 
I guess it's been a slow week for the two of us or busy week, depending on how you look at it. Nope. Just movies that were so bad. I'm not even going to bring them up. (laughs) I do only have one correction that I can think of from the previous episode. And my friend Lance was listening to me edit and he wanted to point out that like the famous painting of Prometheus is usually him laying naked on a rock with the bird pulling his liver out. Yeah. Which would be how Ephraim or Tom or whatever the fuck we want to call Rob in this movie (laughs) ended up. So I guess the symbolism makes sense because we were saying it make a whole lot of sense, but it still doesn't make a lot of sense how we got from point A to point B naked. Yeah, that's that's it. That's my only hang up. Maybe some part of me just wanted to see him get naked and and just being naked wasn't enough. I don't know. Interesting. (laughs) I learned so much about you every day. (laughs) But without further ado, let's dive into this haunted house episode. Josh and I have been wanting to do this episode for a while because we love haunted houses. It's something personal to us. We love all of the movies out there about haunted houses some of which we've covered already, right? And one of them that's actually one of our favorite haunted house movies of all time. And we're not covering it on this episode. (laughs) That says something. You got to save the best for last on that one. That's all I'm going to say. But it's really interesting going around and looking at haunted house movies or shows because a lot of the ones that are currently out there are remakes of old black and white Vincent Price movies, right? Yeah. Not always Vincent Price, but he seems to show up a lot, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Just like 27 of them are him, right? The first 27 that come to mind. (laughs) And it's funny at looking at some of these movies, we broke our uh, remakes and reboots for another episode thing, just because there's so many movies covering 1950s and 60s haunted house films. Yeah. And the ones that aren't remakes of those movies, we've already covered most of them. Poltergeist and Paranormal Activity. Those are some winners right there. Conjuring. Insidious. We've done a lot of the good ones. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which sounds a lot like we've done a bunch of James Wan movies now that I think about it. (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) I wanted to start us off with a classic, 1979's The Amityville Horror. But before I go specifically into the film, I thought, I could go over a little backstory. We're not a true crime podcast, so I'm not going to go all in on that, but I I think there's a little something to be said there. There is a little bit of truth to the Amityville horror story, so I just want to go over a couple real facts that we know about it. The Amityville house is in Amityville, New York, on Long Island, I believe, and the address was always 112 Ocean Avenue, which is now 108 Ocean Avenue, because one of the current residents wanted to change the address. They had requested it to, to keep it off the map, but it was a real home. The DeFeo family lived there, and 13 months before the Lutz family moved in, Butch, the uh, he's like a 20-something-year-old son, he got up in the middle of the night at Roughly 315, they think, and executed his entire family, existing of his three young siblings from like 9 to 13, and both his parents. They were all found laying face down, dead in their beds, which is kind of awkward. They think it was at 315 because he bust into a bar at about 3.30 in the morning saying, oh my God, somebody killed all my parents, or killed my whole family, and they could tell it was a recent murder. So 315 is kind of like the the on-paper time of those murders. And the crazy motherfucker went to work the next day. Like nothing <laughs> happened, right? Which is kind of odd for somebody that just lost their whole family. That's kind of odd. Nobody woke up during the gunshots. <laughs> I know. That's one of the creepy things about it, though. Neighbors don't report hearing any gunshots, just uh, uh, dog barking. 
That is nuts. And he used a rifle, no silencer or anything. It wasn't like a little pistol with a silencer. There have been theories about him having an accomplice. There have been theories about it being a mob hit. There's all sorts of shit, but Butch DeFeo is in prison for the rest of his life for these murders. And he says that voices talked to him and told him to do it. Okay. Which is, you know, it's kind of an easy cop out a lot of people use, but that's the one he's going with. I know I've been calling him Butch. That was his nickname. A lot of times if you see newspaper articles, and I think even in the movie, they say Ronald DeFeo Jr., but he went by Butch. So, And then people throw out Ronnie too. So the guy who went nuts and offed his family. (laughs) Yeah, that 100% (laughs) happened. 13 months later, the Lutz family did buy the house. They paid $80,000 for it. It was worth like 120 plus at the time. And they got all of the... The Feo family furniture for $400 thrown in. Okay. So bloodstains and all. <laughs> I'm hoping those pieces of furniture were gone, but I don't know. This house did have a heated pool. It, it was on like some sort of lake or water access. It, it did have a boathouse. This was like a really nice house. The family was supposed to be in a little bit of financial trouble, right? They moved into that house because they got the great deal. And according to the Lutz family, George would wake up at 3.15 every morning, which is the time that DeFeo, you know, carried out the murders, they think. They reported strange smells, uh, seeing slime leak out of things. They did have a priest come bless the house because of the murders right when they moved in. And he said he heard a voice tell him, get out, and very creepy, demonic-like voice, and he ran, which is kind of reached upon in the movie but it's added to a little bit more and the priest told them not to use that room for anything and that's the room the two boys lived in that got killed i mean they said electronic things turning on and off supposedly george woke up to his wife levitating one time lots of fucked up shit there there (laughs) there was a red room in the basement and the dog did not like it and there's stories of a pig demon which i don't know what to think of that but (laughs) the family made it 28 days before bailing on the house and the Warrens did investigate the house. And if you ever see the famous demon boy photo on the internet that comes up anytime you look up paranormal photos, that's actually the Warrens taking a picture in the house months after the Lutz has moved out. And they think it's one of the boys that live there and make of that what you will. I know people have different opinions of the Warrens, the, the real Warrens, not the conjuring versions people tend to like the the movie version of them but (laughs) but they said all this fucky shit happened and they bailed and who knows there's also theories that the defense attorney for defeo might have even came up with this idea with them so who knows but that's what we know about reality yeah there's a whole rabbit hole you can go down and and seek that out elsewhere (laughs) yeah people have covered this to great extent and i'm talking about movie people i'm talking about true crime podcast i'm trying to actually think of who i listened to do a whole true crime coverage of the amityville house and and they never mentioned the lutz it was just about the defeo family and all the theories and that was fucking fascinating in its own right but the movie was like i said made in 1979 it was directed by stuart rosenberg who made a shit ton of movies from 1957 to 1991 none of which that i saw were horror films but i would say one of his most famous films i saw on the list was cool hands luke but just to kind of give you an idea of the kind of movies that guy made before making this the screenplay was written by sander stern who wrote shit tons of tv shows and made for tv movies from 66 to 08 
also non-horror, okay? Huh. And it's interesting to hear that because this was originally going to be a made-for-TV movie, and they decided to to make it theatrical, and um, that's just fascinating to me. I don't know how it would have ended up. It, it kind of has that made-for-TV feel when you watch it, but I don't know how much of that is because it was made in 79. Yeah. I, I can't imagine, like, uh, next week on Amityville Horror on Lifetime. <laughs> And I'll be honest, this is one of those movies I grew up watching and I watched with my mom and I watched my older sister, but I haven't seen it in forever. Oh man, I didn't watch this till I was like in my 20s. I was probably in my 20s when I saw it last. Oh wow. <laughs> Before the podcast, I did rewatch this movie for the podcast. <laughs> but I do want to say the movie is based off of a novel written by Jay Anson. And he had like, I think 28 hours worth of interviews. Don't quote me on the hours. We had lots of hours of interviews with the Lutz family about them living in this house. And that's what he wrote the novel off of. And of course his novelization is I'm sure added upon, right? From what (laughs) he even heard. And then what he was told was probably added upon. And then you have the movie version, right? So there's this layer and layer of extra shit being added on here. All of the family members have done interviews over the years. And one of the sons did one the most recently. And he swears to this day, the house is haunted and that shit happened. But he said that his stepdad did embellish things. Ah, There's a few people in this movie. I'm actually only going to probably name three. (laughs) The movie is starring James Brolin, which, I mean, that guy was in so much shit, right? (laughs) He actually, he still acts, but I mean, back in the day, he was a big actor and he's Josh Brolin's father, which we all know from like Goonies and being Thanos and fucking Cable and Deadpool and all sorts of stuff. (laughs) But he was probably the most famous person in this movie at the time. And I don't, I would have to look at his whole career. Like he was in the original Westworld and, and so many things that like, I don't know what point in his career he was in this but i do know he originally didn't want to do the movie and they're like we well, just got to read it and he's like okay well where's the script and they said we don't have a script you gotta you gotta read the book so he <laughs> read the book in like one sitting and for some reason he had pants hanging on something in the room and he got to a scary part of the book and the pants fell and he, he doesn't believe in ghosts and he still to this day doesn't but it scared the shit out of him and he's like whoa there must be something to this story <laughs> like if read the book made him fucking that scared when something fell over yeah. so he decided to do it And they had such a low budget on it that he took a minimal amount of pay, but requested 10% of the box office sales. Smart guy. Which they didn't think was going to be very much. And when this movie came out, it was one of the best-selling movies of all time. (laughs) And he made tens of millions of dollars off this movie. Nice. So this is probably his his biggest payday, right? (laughs) And nobody thought it was going to (laughs) be. And like I said, he plays the the dad, George Lutz, and Kathy Lutz, the wife and mother, is played by Margot Kidder, which I would say we probably most know her from being Lois Lane in the Superman movies when we were kids, right? Yep. And Black Christmas. <laughs> there it is. We hadn't come back to that in a hot minute. Look at us go. Oh, it was coming. I just didn't want to start with it. <laughs> yeah, she was Barb in that. But like other than that, those are the two things I always go back to is Lois Lane and Black Christmas with her. And there's some kids in the movie. I don't know if they ended up being famous, but I just they're not like a, a huge part of the story. There's some supporting cast. I might hit them up when we get there. In my opinion, though, this is the first modern haunted house movie. Yes, like we said earlier, Vincent Price and others had haunted house movies that had been made several times over. But this movie gave us all of the current staples. Getting the title cards for what day you're on that's so prominent in paranormal activity 
having cats jump in front of windows, screeching as a jump scare. The demonic <laughs> voices coming out of rooms. A creepy little girl that pops up out of fucking nowhere and has a creepy imaginary friend. Those are staples to the current haunted house subgenre, I would say. If you're looking at your poltergeist and you're looking at your insidious and your conjuring and your paranormal activity movies, those are all staples. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Yeah, this is where it came from. This is like you had uh, you had The Exorcist, which set the standard for your possession movies and where it turned at. And then this was The Haunted House. And uh, even some crossover here, in my opinion, between Haunted House and, and Possession, more of the house as a character. But we'll get into all that. Um, but yeah, definitely. This is, this is where the modern age started. I'm so glad that you said character in the way that you just did. Because the house in this movie... It's probably more of a character than it is in most haunted house films. Oh yeah. Because it has the creepy eye windows, which the original house really did have. Yep. And they were actually removed semi recently and replaced with square windows just because they were sick of it. Yep. Cause the house was bought as recently as 2017. And I think I saw it went for like $650,000 and that was hundreds of thousands of dollars under what it was worth in the asking price. It's just, people <laughs> don't really want to fucking live in that house. Amityville. I wouldn't live in the fucking house. <laughs> oh, hell no. I'd spend a night there. If I did like the selfie, it would be from like really far away with the house in the background. <laughs> like, <laughs> it might as well be a fucking cardboard cutout because Jesse's ass ain't going in there. <laughs> but the movie kind of has like a double opener here. You get the opening credits and you see the creepy fucking house and it's third story window like eyes. And there's like a red filter over it which makes it even more menacing to me. <laughs> yeah. And it fades through different colors until we get to gray. And there's this humming theme going in the background. It's really creepy as fuck. And the entire score of this movie is pretty creepy. And a rumor I'd like to squash is for years. And it's probably due to the internet not being a thing. People always thought it was leftover music from the exorcist. It was songs that didn't get used. It was the original score. And that was treated as fact in some circles. Huh. But that's not true. But the music in this movie could have popped up in The Exorcist, and I wouldn't have thought anything odd about it whatsoever. I could see that. Especially the creepy humming on the on the opening credits. Yeah. But we cut to the same creepy house during a hellacious thunderstorm, and we hear gunshots firing as there's thunder going off outside, and the camera is coming from the outside, and you can see the muzzle flashes through the windows, which kind of adds to it. And the camera follows Butch DeFeo as he brutally murders his family with the rifle. And then we see police arrive with ambulances and they're gathering evidence. They're gathering bodies, right? And we have a title card that says November 13th, 1974, Amityville, Long Island. And then it pops up and says a mother, father, and four of their children were murdered. No apparent motive. And I stand corrected. I said three kids earlier. It's four. Three is with the Lutz family hat. There were four yeah, DeFeo yeah, yeah. children murdered in the house. Don't even need a corrections corner on the next one. <laughs> the police are talking about the crime, and they say the son killed his parents and his siblings, and they think it happened around 3.15 a.m., which we're going to have to attribute that to the witching hour a little bit, right? Of course. It's always the witching hour's fault. <laughs> People are just hangry at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> But we cut to one year later and we're introduced to George and Kathy Lutz as a real estate agent showing them around this house. And we can see that it's way more than they could normally afford, but they can get it for 80K due to the incident that happened before. <laughs> and we find out they are aware of the murders. I'd fucking hope so. 
Yeah, I just want to throw that out there. It wasn't a surprise like it is in some haunted house movies. <laughs> we find out that they were recently married, but Kathy was married before, and she has three children from that marriage. And they're given a tour through the house, and this is really neat how they do this. It, it's very bright and peaceful and serene as the real estate agent gives them the tour through the house. But every time they go to the room and open the door, it cuts to that night and Butch DeFeo shooting whichever relative in that room. Yeah. Fucking genius. It's also very creepy and it was very abrupt. And you know, those were, those are common horror staples now, but I don't think when you're making movies back then, you saw that kind of like throw in the brutal image during the serene imagery as much as you do there. And that's really cool. Cause it wasn't a horror movie director making it. So yeah, we got a staple from the cool hands Luke guy. <laughs> But the Lutzes tell the real estate agent they would be left alone in like the attic room with the creepy eyes to to kind of meet and talk about the house on their own because they've already seen the place. And Kathy is really reluctant because the cost of the house, $80,000 is out of their reach. He lets you know that it's worth 120 so they can make their money back. And he talks about ways they can save money. Like he can, there's so many rooms he can put his work office there. He can move his boat there since they have a dock and he doesn't have to pay all that and they can make it work. But Kathy is really stuck on the family being murdered there. She wishes it wasn't a house where family's been murdered like most of us would, right? <laughs> like same yeah. people. <laughs> and George eases her worries, and they decide to get the house. Houses don't have memories. Houses like hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. But if you're wondering if they took the house, of course they bought the fucking house or we wouldn't be here right now covering this, okay? <laughs> so we get our first of many title cards. And like I said, this is the first time I remember seeing this in a horror film like this. That's not being, that's not like a documentary or something, right? Yeah. We get the first day title card. And this day basically consists of the family unpacking until they decide to grab some beers and take the kids out for a, a boat ride that's parked in their little convenient boathouse that you can see from all the windows to think something fucky's going on, right? <laughs> when it's three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but pretty much nothing happens that day. It's a dull day. Except for the priest, Father Delaney, shows up to bless the fucking house at Kathy's request, and she's not even in the house. She took the kids off with beers. And he goes in the house and he's lured to one of the bedrooms upstairs because he hears kids through the door. Yep. And he thinks it's the Lutz family kids because he knows this family. But he goes into the room and he doesn't see any of the demon children, but he can see the family from outside the window getting on the boat and driving off. So maybe he's thinking he heard them that way. Yeah. And then these murderous fucking flies begin to swarm and attack him. And they force him to leave, basically infected with some kind of illness. He's really sick and he's vomiting and he has lesions on his hands. And supposedly the real priest reported this happening and the lesions on the hand are supposed to be like a stigmata. Yeah. Right. Like the house messed with him on a deep religious level. I do want to say they, they had to put honey all over his head to make the fly swarm. And apparently the cameraman was deathly afraid of bugs. <laughs> and any, you know, they have all the fly shots in this movie and he would point the camera and like hit record and look away and just hope the, the shot looked okay. Oh, wow. Allegedly, the guy lost 30 pounds filming the movie because he wouldn't eat on set because of the flies. I thought you were going to say because he was the, a steady cam operator. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the 70s, that would have been some heavy shit, right? But no, apparently he was just so grossed out by the bugs, he wouldn't fucking eat. Wow. I should try that one time, put some fake spiders on the house. 
let's be honest. My kids do that to me to scare me now. And I still eat like a fat ass. So <laughs> you just break stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but that night we see that the let's kids sleep in some fucked up places in the house and have to be carried to bed. And father Delaney tries to call and warn the family, but all they gets is static on the line. And that's supposed to be based off of an actual phone call where he tried to call and let Kathy know how sick he was in real life. And that he thought she should stay out of that room, but supposedly the phone went to static before he could get to that last part. And she ended up making it like her sewing room or something. So I don't know, make of that what you will. Huh. But the phone's cut out and uh, Kathy just blames this problem on old Ma Bell, of course, right? Like that has to be the <laughs> issue. And um, we see that George is actually starting to look a little sick, right? Like they've only been in the house a day and he's like, talking about how fucking cold the house is and it's got shitty insulation. He's already fucking angry at the basement, right? So something's <laughs> starting to happen to him, but he can't be feeling that ill because that night him and the wife have a, some sort of ballerina kink thing going on. Okay. <laughs> and throughout the night, we see that the parents have to close and lock their daughter's window multiple times. Okay. And the last time George does it, he goes in the room because he hears a girl talking. That's not his daughter. And when he goes in there, there's nobody there, but the window's open and he thinks he sees somebody in the fucking boathouse. And he goes out there to investigate it with the family dog, Harry, but he doesn't find anything. And the boathouse is really reoccurring in this movie. I don't really know why, because it doesn't end up actually have anything happening there in the original movie, but it is like a big part of it. <laughs> yeah. We immediately cut to the fourth day and we can see that we have yet another film with a sickly dad angrily chopping wood for most of the film, just like the last episode. <laughs> so maybe even that Robert Eggers got that for the witch from this, right? Like this, <laughs> this is creating staples <laughs> left and right. But not only do we see that George is now a ill lumberjack, but we see he's also being a dick to his wife that he's been very sweet to for the earlier part of the film. Right. So like something's up. This is undiagnosed bipolar disorder. It's <laughs> exactly what it is. We see Kathy call and, and try to speak to father Delaney to find out why he never came by the house. And we find out from um, another priest that he's very ill and it's odd because he did come by the house. He just didn't see them. Right. So she's a little confused by all of that because in the film, she doesn't know who called her. She had static the whole time. It wasn't like the reported true quotation marks phone call where they had part of a conversation yeah but uh as kathy gets off the phone she's frightened by their daughter who just kind of fucking appears in the house and discovers black well shit coming up out of the toilet right <laughs> as her aunt helena who's a nun is coming to see the house because she's the first person in the family to ever buy a house they've always been renters right hey this is the same thing that happened at my office today you had black demonic shit coming out of the toilets at your office today? Pretty close. Over the weekend, a water main broke, and they were working on it, and they ran pressure back into the system. And our office is in a strip, and the office next to us, all the toilets and sinks flooded sewer water back up through the system. And uh, luckily, ours just kind of flooded like a little bit in the bathroom. And uh, now we have that nice, dirty brown water when we run everything. But uh, yeah, I, I immediately thought of this movie when I got to work this morning. <laughs> I could see you thinking of this movie because there's a slight relation, except for it's not demonic black fucking slime. <laughs> hey, they don't know that yet. I would still possibly maybe call it a priest for your office, though. Just, just <laughs> what could it hurt? What could it hurt? 
But anyways, the family's kind of trying to stall Aunt Helena so they can clean up the black goop. And the kids don't want to get their cheeks pinched. So they go outside to play and leave her in the house. And with her being a nun, she's being affected in some way by the home as well. And it's giving her shit and it scares her out of the house. And apparently this house gives clergy food poisoning because she has to like hork <laughs> right out the right out in the driveway, man. And uh, yeah, so it's not a, it's not a safe place for the clergy to go. Don't drink the communion wine from the Let's house. It's a little tainted. <laughs> What's this cholera you speak of? <laughs> <laughs> but that night we see George violently feeding wood into the fireplace. And once again, he's being a little bit of a jerk to his wife until she, you know, tells him she loves him and it kind of snaps him out of it. And she uh, coerces him up into the bedroom for a little bit of a little bit of happy time. And we find out that she has to wear the ballerina outfit, apparently, or he has ED. OK, because like, <laughs> <laughs> oh. they're not having a good time that night. And he swears it's never happened to him before. So after going to bed, disappointed. Kathy wakes up from a nightmare. She was shot in the head! George seems way less worried about this than I would have been if I saw my <laughs> wife randomly sit up screaming about somebody being shot in the head and just flopping back over. But he rolls over to go back to sleep and sees that it happens to be 3.15 in the morning when this happens. Yeah, yep. On the sixth day, we see that Father Bolin, who, which was the priest that answered the phone earlier, I don't know if I said his name, is trying to drive a still sick father Delaney to the Lutz house. Cause he's like, I got to get to this family and the steering wheel locks up in the car and the hood pops up blocking their field of vision. And they get into a car accident. They're uninjured, but Delaney notices a fucking fly on the car that probably made the cameraman hork shooting. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> All just a manufacturer's defect. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We see the Lutz family getting ready to go to Kathy's little brother's wedding where George is the best man, even though he looks like fucking shit. And I wouldn't have him anywhere near my loved ones at a wedding. Actually, <laughs> he kind of looks like how I did as Charlie's best man. When we were younger. <laughs> but that is because I poorly plan to have the bachelor party the night before the wedding, not because of demons. Oh, yeah. You looked a little under the weather in that ceremony, <laughs> but I can relate. He should keep his ass home. <laughs> we saw Jimmy like just counting $1,500 over and over again for the cater for the cater. He can't lose the fucking cater money. And he puts it in his jacket. But when it comes time to leave, the money's not there and nobody went near his jacket and they dig all over the room and they can't find it, but they got to get to this wedding. And, uh, George offers to write a check for it. Right. He's like, the money's got to be in the room. I'll find it later. And we find out that not only do they think George has some kind of flu that Father Delaney had, but they also think their daughter Amy has it. She's not going, and she's going to be staying with the sitter, Jackie, okay? Who has some rocking fucking headgear braces, I'm just saying. Yeah, so stereotypical. The dead-on little lisp because of it and everything. How do you know they weren't real? Okay, fucking could have been. You're dental shaming, Josh. Uh Really, really, is that what we're down to now? We're down to yes, dental shit. Yes, that's what we're down to now. <laughs> but anyways, that night we see Amy talking to her imaginary friend Jody, and long story short, the sitter Jackie gets locked in the closet, and she's beating on the fucking door till her knuckles are bleeding, while yep. Amy watches from outside, and she's left there all night in the dark until George and Kathy finally show up and let her out. 
And when they get mad at Amy, she says that Jody did it. And George gets mad at all of the kids in the house and storms off. These kids of yours need some goddamn discipline. I like to think that Jody and Toby are kind of like brother and sister in in, in the other world. <laughs> I don't know, but the pig thing's fucking stupid, and I stick to it. <laughs> the The rave glass light things we're gonna see later. <laughs> I'm okay with the eyes, man. That was kind of a staple back then, but I'm not. A, just, oh, we'll get, we'll get there. there. We'll get there. <laughs> But George tries his ass off to find the money, and all he can find is one of the $500 wrappers under the couch, and he fucking loses his shit. And I think maybe the Jade Dragon statue ate the money. It's just a theory. Damn it, that's the joke I was going to make. <laughs> the camera fucking zooms in on it, and we see that it eats shit later. So it's just a theory. <laughs> all he had to do was bust that thing open. <laughs> but on the eighth day, we cut to... I'm assuming the diocese or something. They never say specifically what religion they are. I'm assuming they're Catholic though. And um, Delaney's trying to explain everything that happened to him to his superiors with, with Boland and is basically told that the church can't blame everything weird that they see on Satan and that he needs to take a vacation. <laughs> and he has a breakdown at some point crying about how he just wants to help the Lutz family and he basically feels like the church is just trying to hide anything supernatural. Yep. So what we need is Heath Ledger from the order <laughs> and he'd go and take care of shit. Okay. When are we going to cover that movie? I fucking love that movie. I don't know. I hadn't thought about that movie in a hot minute. Religious horror. Hey, there you go. I got dibs on that in the exorcist. <laughs> you could have Rosemary's baby and something else. But after we see Father Delaney basically being let down by his church, we see George's business partner, Jeff, and his girlfriend, Caroline, show up to George angrily chopping wood, okay? And they're there to see him because payroll needs to be signed, and he's the one responsible for doing it, and ha nobody has seen him in days, and his phone line's always busy when Jeff calls. Caroline, on the other hand, is freaked out about the house and will not stay out of the fucking car and gets back in it, and she wants to hide in the, in the car. <laughs> Yeah, she's the clairvoyant. Yeah, we'll see that in a little bit. We find out that the caterer has been calling about a bounce check for $1,500. The IRS no is looking for George. And George loses shit on Jeff, basically threatening him with an axe until he's told that Jeff brought him a light to put on his boat and uh, he's in a good mood again. Except <laughs> for we see that George can throw an axe like a G as he fucking overhead tosses that son of a bitch straight into a tree. <laughs> But anyways, while this is going on, we can see the boys are fucking with Amy from like the second or third story window with like a fishing rod and a spider while Amy's playing with her dolls about this son of a bitch doing this or something. It's really <laughs> fucked up. And I guess Jody doesn't like her friend being fucked with because the window slams on one of the boy's fingers and the men hear the screaming and come running upstairs. And with both their strength, they can't get the fucking window lifted up like it's like it's nailed shut, they say, until eventually they yank it open and they take the boy to the ER and somehow not a single bone was broken. Yeah, that's a weird one. Was there was there a razor blade on, on the edge of the, the windowsill or something? <laughs> I have a theory. Ketchup packets. Oh, that was the most red blood I've ever seen. <laughs> but that night at guess what time? <laughs> 315. <laughs> nah, bro, it was 11.22. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> at 3.15, 
we see George go look at that window because he wakes up again in the middle of the night and the window's really bothering him and it's fucking covered in flies and he's fucking with the flies and his tidy whities until the front door and the basement door fucking explode and uh, Amy's creepy ass pops up behind him again. God damn it, don't sneak up on me. And as they walk by, the goddamn windows open again. <laughs> so wait, so are the are the flies like little ninjas and they just get together and they all <laughs> the window open? It's really weird. I was going to kind of save it for the end, but that's the same window where we see Jody Demon Pig later that George sees from outside. And that's the same window where Kathy sees the red eyes when she's in the room looking out. Ah. And that is Amy's room. So I'm assuming Jody comes through the window and Jody is described as being like a pig with glowing red eyes and flies are attracted to pigs. And then hey. the black goop coming out of the toilet's kind of like fucking pig slop and shit. I don't know. There's something to this pig thing. Okay. Uh, th- this is a loose thread, but I'll take it. As stupid as I think the pig thing is like they had all these stories about this shit that kind of ties in with a pig, which is really weird. <laughs> should go on the demonic dog or something i don't know anyways the police show up and they think it looks really fucking suspicious because all the doors are knocked out from the inside and we meet uh sarge from the murder at the beginning he's there because uh the house gives him the fucking heebie-jeebies basically and he follows <laughs> up on shit on it and he tells the family he's going to keep an eye on them in the house and we find out from the sarge that george looks just like butch defeo and we also see that Harry the dog really wants to dig through the fucking wall in the basement real bad. Yeah. We're up to day 12 now. And Amy tells her mom about Jody and how Jody told her about the boy that had died there in the house and how Jody wants Amy to live in the house there forever. And Kathy's understandably creeped the fuck out about this. And George goes on a field trip on his motorcycle to what I think is town hall to get blueprints for the house. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. Yeah. Unless that was his office because he is a surveyor. That's what it says on his truck. So maybe he went to get work. But after seeing the dog scratch on the wall, I don't know. I, for some reason, I took it as blueprints for the house, but it might have been for work. No, no, no. I totally agree with you. He, he, he thinks there's something to there being a fucking room there, and he goes to check it out. That's what I think. I think you're right. Well, good. I'm not completely crazy on that, at least. Just maybe the now, uh, pig shit what, and the ketchup packets <laughs> might be a little out there. What bothers me about that whole in, that whole part is he takes the prints and just slams them behind the seat of his motorcycle and takes off. Those aren't strapped down or anything. He's going to lose them. Oh, that shit is not there when he gets home. We just didn't see that part. What we did see, though, is that George has no fucking clue how a library works. (laughs) Because he goes into this library, sneaks around to the occult section, grabs a book, sticks it in his pants, and sneaks past some old ladies that are the librarians. And all I can think is he doesn't know that you can check the books out for free. Or he owns some shit that is really, really past due. Like maybe he left it on the back of the goddamn motorcycle one time and he drove off and that shit somewhere in town. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. But we cut back to Kathy who's creeped the fuck out by Amy and calls Delaney to tell him that she needs his help. And we get the weird static thing on the fucking phone again. And Delaney is just like choking sick on something, right? Just from being on the phone with her. And Kathy goes into prayer when she gets off of the phone for her family. And we can see that her prayers are angering the house in some way because there's like wind blowing and the door opens. And I really, I want to do a little more research on it. I don't get this part, 
but she gets a strange visitor at the door and he's standing there with beer and he's acting like he's sick or something. He's like, I'm here to welcome you to uh, the neighborhood. And she turns around for something. And when she turns back, he's gone. So I don't fucking get that. Yeah. Cause that's, that's when the phone rings is why she turns back around from the door. And, uh, but yeah, and then she comes right back and he's gone and it's, it's never revisited. I, I'm with you. I've never understood beer guy. I don't know. It's really awkward. If anybody out there is like, if you assholes read the book, you'd know, blah, blah, blah. Let us know. <laughs> Actually, I, I should read the book at some point. I'm kind of interested. We see George meet his buddy Jeff at a bar with the coolest fucking name ever. It's called the Witch's Brew. Yeah. And the bartender is startled by how much George looks like Butch DeFeo. And then Jeff and George get into a, a heated argument until George knocks the shit out of Jeff. And then Jeff's like, so we cool now? Right? Like, now that you got it out of your system, can we fucking talk? And Which is a really cool response, honestly. And George tells Jeff and his girlfriend, who is now at the bar, everything that has happened to them and what he thinks is going on. And Caroline is flipping through the occult book, and she finds out that the house is built on the Ketchum property. And we find out that, I think it's Jim Ketchum. Sounds right. Um, was a witch that was ran out of Salem and built a house there. And their house is now on that property. And there really was a Ketchum family and they lived somewhere roughly in the area, but were never accused of being witches. And he was never a member of the church like he was in the remake or any of that. So it's just kind of like they took a person and, uh, Actually, that's defamation. Uh, think about it. But, <laughs> <laughs> or libel. I mixed the two up. But yeah, so basically they took a real person's name and, and kind of like made a legend out of it for the movie. Well, this whole little little setup here kind of reminds me of a, where, 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 The Conjuring. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Interesting connection. If only the <laughs> Warrens were connected to that. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, but this Ketchum piece, I think, has nothing to do with the air quotes again. True Amityville story. <laughs> I think this is just for the movie. Probably. I have no clue. Meanwhile, at the house, we see Kathy catches Amy singing a song in a room and the doors cracked open a little bit. Right. And I think it's Jesus loves me, which is really weird that this song is apparently Jody's jam, but she's rocking in a <laughs> chair, singing it. And the chair across from her is also rocking. Right. And Kathy sees this shit. And when she busts in the room, the other chair stops rocking and Amy says that she scared Jody away and out the window. Well, Kathy goes to close the window and she's startled by a pig sound on the roof and glowing red eyes. Very Fright Night style. I always think of Fright Night when I see the red eyes out the hey, window. Hey, yeah. This came first, but Fright Night came first for me. So it's always going to be, you always remember <laughs> your first, God damn it. And red eyes are always Fright Night for me. Jeff and Caroline come home with George to watch the kids so that George can take his wife out so they can get a, a break, which would make sense if they are normal people, but Caroline's into the supernatural and just found out about the Ketchum house in this fucking book. So that whole part doesn't make any sense either. I feel like there were some reshoots involved, but <laughs> we find out that Caroline is very sensitive to the supernatural and she needs to get in the basement. So while George is talking with Kathy and trying to unfreak her out and to go check on his fire, and then he finds Jeff and Caroline in his basement trying to knock a fucking hole in the wall and they discover a red room on the other side, right? Like it was a bricked in room and the walls are painted in red. The red room is real. People went in the house after the Lutz left and took pictures in the red room. There's a red bricked room under the stairs. However, 
in real life, the basement was not dark and scary. It was a completely finished living space, and it was the family's rec room. And oh. the red room closet is where all the children's toys were stored, and Harry was apparently terrified of the closet. Uh, that's it. That's it. That's the real story from anything I could find. <laughs> but as they're looking at the red room, Caroline says crazy people were brought to this house to die and they were buried here and they're stuck here. And then Kathy comes down in the base. I want to know what the fuck's going on. And then as George looks in the room, he sees his brother on the other side. And I say brother, it looks almost exactly like him, but just slightly different. And I think that was supposed to be the, um, Butch and George look a, a lot alike, but it's actually Roland's real life brother. And they just glued a fake beard on him and did and composited his head there. Ah, huh. cause they look enough alike. Huh? But Caroline says that they come and go through that room and breaks out into a demon voice telling them to find the well. And a lot of this shit is never revisited again, <laughs> a single time in this fucking movie, but they use the shit out of it. in the Ryan Reynolds remake in 05. Yeah, they do. Which is actually, it's it's a good remake. It's a creepy fucking <laughs> horror movie, if I'm going to be honest. But um, Jeff and Caroline leave the house, and the Lutz find their crucifix in the wall that night, and it's just completely covered in black gunk. And George washes it off, and they try to bless the, the house themselves until George can't hold the crucifix anymore and drops it. And then when Kathy touches it, she's tricked into thinking it, like, deformed her, right? Like, she's seeing, like, marks on her hands. Yeah. And that kind of comes up later. And that's because the Lutzes in, in real life said that sometimes George would see her with white hair and lots of wrinkles and shit. Oh, okay. A lot of the stuff in the movie comes from what they said in interviews that was written in the book. And then it, you know, got glamorized for the film. That's going to make the wrinkly shot later on make a lot more sense to me now. Meanwhile, we see that Sarge is outside the house watching the family through the windows from his car. And he just thinks they're fucking weird at this point. <laughs> At this point, we're at the 17th day, and we see Delaney and Bolin prepping for mass, and we find out that Bolin, I think he says he was in Nam, if I remember right. But anyways, like he joined the church after being a soldier, and he was trained by Delaney, and he admires him greatly and cares about him and wants him to be okay, and he's a little worried about him, right? And Delaney tries to prep for mass, and he's blessing everything until the statue above him starts to fall apart, and a piece hits him in the head, blinding him. It's kind of fucked up. The residual haunting from this house is fucking real because it follows you for, <laughs> what, 17 days? It's still fucking with them. Yeah, I've been to the house in 17 days. As far as I know, the real priest was never blinded by a falling piece of statue. Okay. But nope. <laughs> it was masturbation. I heard that could happen, but I can still see fine. <laughs> <laughs> but that night at the house, George is awakened at 315 again to the sound of drums and a marching band which is so dumb, but that is something that they said happened. That you would hear a marching band walking through the house, which I don't know what the fuck that has to do with DeFeo and the murders, but that's what they said. <laughs> this scene is shot poorly, and I'm probably going to blow your mind in a second because every time I say this to somebody, they're like, what? But here's the marching man. He goes downstairs, and he cuts his head around the corner of the room. It stops, and he trips over near the, the dragon statue we were talking about earlier, and he yells about how this is his fucking house, right? And what nobody ever notices is he randomly starts fucking with the rug and unrolls it. That's the room yeah. where he sits in front of the fireplace every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. For some reason, nobody notices that. So I guess the ghost moved all the fucking furniture away. Like he couldn't even sit and get warm in front of his fire. Whoa. Okay, here. You're still blowing my mind because I knew it was the same room, 
I didn't realize that the whole room that that had been done and they had rolled up the rug. I thought it was like off to the side of the room. And he was like, no, I'm going to continue decorating. But what you just explained makes more sense. <laughs> well, you see him in that room. That's the same room where uh, the brother loses the money. Yeah. So where the carpet it was already out the floor, right? and the couch was on it. Yeah. And I haven't read the book, but that's what I've always got from watching that movie. And everybody always looks at me like, the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> but somewhere in here, we see Kathy wake up and she goes into Amy's room and she finds fucking George brutally murdering Amy with an axe. And the end, it ended right where it started. With a man viciously murdering his family. <laughs> we're not laughing because we're sick individuals. I mean, the jury's out. We could be <laughs> fucked up individuals. But um, <laughs> it's a nightmare that Kathy wakes up from. And honestly, I don't know why I'm making a joke. It's really fucked up seeing the little girl get fucking axe murdered, the bright red blood everywhere. But yeah. uh, we find out that Kathy w- was imagining George doing this. And... It's really weird how this goes because when she wakes up, she realizes that George is in the bed asleep with her. And I don't know if that's a dream or not either because we then cut to the 19th day and Kathy comes running down the stairs, freaked out and finds George in that room sitting in his chair on the rug. He unrolled in front of the fireplace, just chain feeding logs in there. And he's got bite marks on his leg where the fucking dragon statue fucking bit him. No, or Harry, who knows? But they zoom on that goddamn dragon statue a lot. So we're going to have to go with that. Agreed. And uh, she tells him that she wants to leave this house. And he yells at her because she made him buy the fucking house. And then he angrily slaps her in the fucking face like an asshole. And then he's like, business as usual. I got to put fucking wood in the fire. Right? (laughs) Yep. But Kathy gets the fuck out of that house because he just hit her. And she goes to see Bolin to find out what the fuck's going on with Delaney because they say only Bolin can tell you. And we find out that she's known Delaney for a long time and he helped her through some hard times and she really needs to see him. And I'm assuming it's whatever happened like with her divorce or actually maybe the her husband died. I don't I don't know. But like I'm assuming he helped yeah. with all that. And um she leaves angrily because Bolin basically tells her, no, he can't help her and this and that. He doesn't even mention that Delaney's blind. And Sarge sees all this and follows Bolin around town until he goes to see Delaney, who we see is basically just kind of given up. He yeah. won't respond or talk. He's just sitting at, it looks like a, almost like a nursing home ran by the church. And he won't even fucking, well, he can't really look at Bolin's. He can't see, but he won't respond to anything he says. Yeah. And the sergeant walks up to talk to Bolin after Bolin gets angry and leaves. And we just basically find out that he knows something, something fucky's going on. He wants to know what's up. Kathy randomly appears at the fucking daily planet or something to go through some <laughs> microfiche of the Amityville murders until she sees a photo of DeFeo, but it's not DeFeo. It's literally Brolin in the photo. And she's like, Oh my God, <laughs> it's George. He killed his family. And she races home to stop him from murdering the family. Right. Meanwhile, we see George is doing some weird shit at the house while Amy plays with Jody. And we see that Harry's mad at the red room where he's barking and growling at it until the fucking floor erupts. And we see that black fucking goop from the Beverly Hillbillies come crawling up out of the floor, right? (laughs) And we get our final title card, The Last Night. And I would say we're at the third act of the film right here, and it's going to go rather quickly. Yeah. Kathy makes it home, and she's afraid that George is going to axe murder the entire family. And it's not wrong. He's wandering around the house with the fucking axe angrily (laughs) in the middle of a storm. And the kids are all hiding in the room behind a locked door. So she's pretty much spot on. And George tries to shining his way through the fucking door with that axe. 
until <laughs> Kathy scares him and he turns around and she looks like an old wrinkled hag, which is what Josh was talking about earlier. And it only makes sense if you, I'm assuming, read the book or know a little bit about the true story. And he goes to hit her with the axe as she rolls over crying and it sticks in the floor. And she just says, please don't hurt my babies. Right. And that's really strong kind of when she says that there and it snaps oh, yeah. him out of it. And he's like, I'd never hurt you or them. Right. So she just like earlier in the movie, if she says something family related, it, it brings him back to the other side. Right. And uh, did I mention that Danzig must live in this fucking house because the walls and stairs are bleeding everywhere. Nice Aqua Teen reference. <laughs> and the storm starts to tear through the house, and we hear growling at the house that chases the family as the whole family runs out and leaves in the van, except for Harry. They forgot Harry and the kids are pissed. And Kathy's like, we just got to get the fuck out of here. And George hauls ass <laughs> in the van, locks that shit up in the street, and he gets back and goes for the fucking dog. See, that's a good dad. <laughs> He's a good dad. He's a good dog owner. I'd go back for Brewster if he was still with us. And uh, he goes running down the basement through the stairs. And I love the way this is shot. The stairs break and he falls straight down. The hole is like lined up with the hole in the basement and he falls into the black goop. And you think he's gone and he starts to crawl out. You're like, oh, maybe he's the Antichrist now, right? Like if you've never seen the movie <laughs> and Harry's growling and barking at him and you think he's going to fucking eat him. Then you realize Harry just wants to get his ass out of the hole because he can't open doors, yeah. right? And uh, the window's probably open on the second story. That's a long drop. So Harry helps get <laughs> George out of the hole because dogs are the best. And um, <laughs> George and Harry try to leave the house, but they're locked in by all the doors slamming. And George basically says, fucks this, breaks out a window, picks up the dog, and dives out. Fucking father of the year, okay? We see the creepy-ass house, and it's I like windows one last time. As a title card pops up saying, George and Kathleen Lutz and their family never reclaim their house or their personal belongings. Today, they live in another state. Credits. And that really is the credits. That really is the ending? <laughs> that sounds so fucking abrupt and out of place, and I agree with you, and that is how it ends. Yeah, but it's still that ending. It, it's still really powerful because it's constantly cutting back to everyone in the van, especially the kids just staring back into the darkness. And then finally, you know, half tar man hero dad comes running out of the darkness with the dog and shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they leave on the boat on the remake, I think, which honestly, it's one of the few times I'll say this. The remake is probably a better version of the story. I'm so fucking glad you had to, you said it and I didn't have to, <laughs> but I'm going to say that because hindsight is 2020. They got to look at all the weak spots of the film and fix it. And honestly, the movie's not weak. It is shot very much like a late seventies, early eighties horror film. The acting's phenomenal. It has things that had never existed in this kind of movie before that are still used to this day. It has a lot of creepy iconic scenes that did all that right. I feel like the connecting pieces is missing across the board. Yeah. And basically you have a collection of great creepy scenes with not much of a story. Yeah. It's, it's weird. And, and, and like you said, if you know the story and then go back to it and look at it like that, it, it makes more sense, but there's still good acting in it. And then I hate to bring it up again and already, but the remake, that's when I, I was like, huh, Ryan Reynolds can act. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't mean that in a mean way. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the first one's classic, but the remake's better. It, it really is. I mean, if you had a time machine and you want to make the, the first one as is with the same scenes, it would have been like an interview with the Lutz family, like the author interviewing the Lutz family around a table with a tape recorder, right? And then it would cut to the scenes happening. It would have been fine. 
Yeah, yeah. But the fact that we're supposed to believe that this is one like cohesive story, it just kind of jumps around a lot. Like, what's up with the pit? What's up with Caroline talking about the crazy people being brought there? What's up with the Ketchum house? Why did George crawl in the pit and fucking crawl out perfectly fine? Was it a setup for a sequel? What's up with the pig? Nothing is answered. And you don't always need things answered. And I'm okay like trying to guess and, and being left open-ended, but they were really just like, plot hooks and MacGuffins put in the movie that were never used or mentioned again. And I know we don't normally talk about remakes a lot, but the remake takes this base story and then added a plot to it and connected it. And it did separate it further from the air quotes, <laughs> true story, but <laughs> it worked, you know, cause I, I believe that if I, if I remember right, the, the Ketchum was like a priest or a preacher, so I, a preacher, I guess, right from Salem. And he like, kidnapped native americans and tortured them in the fucking red room because the red room's like a giant torture room and the remake and oh, stuff nice. like that and, and you get all this creepy shit in there and it works so it's like you either needed to do it like a documentary style realistic movie or you needed to go out and fill in the dots and it kind of went in between but classic iconic horror movie that started the haunted house genre as we know it 100 percent. yep and uh it, it's funny saying that because we did have movies about haunted houses like the house in the haunted hill that came out in 5960 before that that uh once again hindsight is 2020 was remade in 1999 yeah going from the movie that has what like 17 reboots remakes and sequels to the movie that is the remake yeah and i forgot to mention that earlier i think i read there are 18 movies in the amityville world that is like 15 too many i'm, I'm gonna go with 17 <laughs> <laughs> oh but uh 99's house on haunted hill is directed by william malone who did a bunch of stuff but didn't really get too much into horror this uh freddy's nightmares and two episodes of tales from the crypt i think he uh directed oh and the ever amazing fear.com you know <laughs> we got gotta have that in there and uh written of course there was source material from 59 but written by the late dick bb and uh he actually did one episode of Tales from the Crypt, which is how him and Malone intersected, I believe. That's funny how that happens sometimes, especially in horror, it seems. Maybe I just say that because I follow horror stuff more, but it does seem to work that way a lot, right? <laughs> it does. I'm going to go through all this right in the beginning because this is a star-studded ensemble cast, and I just got to get it out of the way. So we've got Jeffrey Rush as Stephen Price, who... It's been fucking Pirates of the Caribbean, lots and lots of award-winning dramas. This is like so out of left field for him, especially at the time that he did it. And they just asked him to be in the flick and he was in the flick. He is fucking fantastic in this movie. And he looks a lot like Vincent Price, which is really cool. And to my understanding, it's unintentional. And I'm sure you could tell me more on that. But watching the movie, I was like, huh, I don't remember James Woods being in this film. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. Okay, so it's not just me. <laughs> it is not just you. The opening roller coaster scene, when he's got the sunglasses on, it is James Woods from John Carpenter's Vampires. And yes. I, I know I rudely interrupted you, but holy shit, when he takes the sunglasses off, I'm like, oh shit, it's Jeffrey Rush. I forgot. <laughs> it just blew my mind. But uh, the the A to his B that is what makes this movie, I don't care how much people dump on it, is Fomke Jansen. And the as Evelyn Price and the interaction between them two, 
I don't care if you're not a horror buff. Watch the movie just for them. They're the best part of the fucking movie. Everything hateful and angry they say to each other is fantastic. <laughs> yes. Um, of course, she's been in X-Men, Nip Tuck, Hemlock Grove. Like she, She's been in a bunch of shit, too. Um, we've got Tay Diggs as Eddie, which I always have to go to Malibu's Most Wanted. <laughs> Equilibrium for me. Yep, that and Chicago. Um, but come on, man. I say Mally. You say boo. Mally, boo. Anyways. Never seen it. Are you kidding me? It is one of the worst 90s comedies ever. You have to see it. <laughs> I watch um, horror movies, Star Wars movies, and Marvel movies. There's not a lot of time left for other things. Uh, <laughs> we've got Peter Gallagher as Blackburn, which to me is always the dad from the OC. I know he's been in a bunch of other shit, but that's what he's forever is to me. And... uh for the comic relief, we've got Chris Kattan as Pritchett. And I don't like Chris Kattan. I, I've just never have like agreed. It just too much. He he lays it on too thick. Like and that's where Will Farrell has went off in some stuff where it's too much. This is my most favorite thing work of Chris Kattan. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. He plays it. It's a such anyways, we'll get into that towards the end. But yes, love him in this. Clear fucking rivers herself, Allie Larder as Sarah. And we've also got Bridget Wilson as Melissa Marr. You know, she was in Last Action Hero, Billy Madison, and everyone's favorite, Sonya in fucking Mortal Kombat. Because <laughs> that's the one everyone forgets about. And, oh yeah, Jeffrey fucking Combs as Dr. Vanneket. And, oh yeah, special effects by K&V. And Dick Smith, kinda. And I didn't know that part, and that's interesting. But we'll get to that. Yeah, when I saw the KNV studios for the special effects, I was like, oh, oh, like <laughs> I just didn't remember it, you know. And then I saw uh Nicotero's cameo in the movie. Yes. Um, but yeah, we did see this at the theater that you worked at because I vividly remember the underwater scene, you know, speaking of Dick Smith, that how loud that was in the theater and how it it looks cheesy and it doesn't hold up well to this day. I'm sorry to say it, but just how loud that was scared the shit out of me <laughs> in the theater. One of the first handful of DVDs that I got mm -hmm. and one of the first commentaries that I listened to. And that's what set me down that path. You can't talk about this movie without talking about Dark Castle Entertainment. So this was the very first Dark Castle Entertainment movie. Yep. Dark Castle was formed in 99 with the help of Joel Silver and Robert Zemeckis. Its namesake is from William Castle because the original plan was that they were just going to remake William Castle horror movies. And they veered off from that after just two releases. Such as House on Haunted Hill and 13 Ghosts, right? Those that were the first exactly two. exactly right. Yep. Yep. Foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Castle's daughter, Terry, um, was even a co-producer on this film. The look of the house on the inside was actually based on a location that Malone worked on on Tales from the Crypt, as far as like the basements and shit. Now we got to get into Jeffrey Rush and how his character became... James Woods price. Um, <laughs> oh, I see that you have that here. That's fucking crazy. I'm not insane. Okay. Um, so in the script originally, it just said average businessman. Yep. Or, it, and, and rush is like, this guy's a bit more eccentric. Let's do me up to look like John waters. And they're like, okay. And so they did him up to quote unquote, look like John waters. And then everybody stood there and looked at him and went, fuck, he looks like Vincent price, which is we'll really go with funny. It. But he had, this is what's hilarious to me. He had a dialect coach for this. And apparently 
Jeffrey Rush's American accent is James Woods. <laughs> you know what? And I, I didn't really notice. It. He does sound like James Woods, too. He does. It's the face with, up, the, with the sunglasses and the smiles. He looks like James Woods, man. But you're you're spot on. He sounds like him, too. <laughs> oh, stoner Josh probably saw this movie. and was like, man, I like James Woods. <laughs> I like James Woods 20 minutes into the movie last week. <laughs> Oh, so with that little bit of backstory, let's jump into this. Of course, the opening title sequence is this creepy ass stop motion thing that can be didn't do that. It's it's a uh, title company that that's like what they do. They do a lot of montage things and stuff like that. And I didn't note their name. So sorry, guys. <laughs> it's really funny because it looked like Evil Dead 2 special effects to me. So I just immediately assumed they made it. I know, right? But uh, then we see this cliffside asylum inside. We see a male nurse, which was actually played by Dick Beebe, taking some notes and we can hear some screams in the distance. And uh, the crazies, as I'll call them, are kind of huddling around his little cage thing that he's in while he's he's doing his little checkout log and everything. And he straight up does not give a fuck, which is quite different from how I would have reacted to that situation. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the screams in the distance we end up seeing is this doctor cutting open this dude while a nurse films. And this is no anesthetic no normal procedure there's fucked up things going on obviously and this is no ordinary doctor (laughs) it's not it's jeffrey fucking combs (laughs) he needs ingredients for his reagent (laughs) yes but uh back to uh note-taking nurse dude and the crazies have pretty much formed this mob and they attack and one of them grabs this handful of pencils. My God, they're using tools. And stabs it through dude's neck, which that's like, as soon as you see that, you're like K and B. There's no it reminds me of it. an ankle scene from a movie. I can't think of which one. <laughs> I know, right? What was that? <laughs> oh, but they go full nuts on the staff and they're fucking drowning people and ripping, ripping. There's gratuitous nudity in this movie, um, ripping shirts open and it just it, it's all kinds of craziness. And the video transitions to this black and white hand crate camera operated by one of the crazies and the video transitions again. And we get a voiceover that comes in and we realize that we're watching a report of these events. And it's like straight up 20s and 1931 da, 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 da. <laughs> and it goes through this whole thing and a sanitarium of slaughter. And you're seeing that eventually everybody in the building was burnt to a crisp yep. when it's showing like police and everything in there. Except for five survivors, right? Yeah, exactly. And we learned that the head surgeon, Richard Benjamin Vanicut, had gone mad and was doing crazy experiments on the patients. And everyone ended up burned to death when shit went nanners. I think I saw that movie. I think we covered it once. (laughs) And the narration that we're hearing here is uh, in this show, which is Peter fucking Graves as the host, which he was the old Mission Impossible and like all kinds of shit. Uh, He was Captain Clarence in Airplane. I think <laughs> you're right. He was. Yeah. Uh, I read they were going to get somebody else to do it. And then he ended up doing it, but I can't remember who it was originally. Huh? But we then see that Evelyn is in the tub watching this and uh, it's a highfalutin tub. That's important here <laughs> to me, at least because <laughs> when it cuts back to him, it's like, I'm Peter Graves. And she's like, no shit. And that just gives you an <laughs> idea of her approach to life. <laughs> I swear. This is the same character. She plays in Hemlock Grove. it fucking is man (laughs) and one of the last things that peter graves says is that the house has now been fully restored but empty because it's believed to be haunted and evelyn's like fuck yeah and turns off the tv and calls 
Price. I'm going to be calling her Evelyn and him Price. I just can't help it. So quick cut to Universal Studios, Islands of, well, not studios, specifically <laughs> Islands of Adventure and uh, Stephen Price. And it's funny, dude, because if you just watch the background at the beginning of the scene, you can see so much signage covered up in the background of like other Marvel properties and shit. Oh, I didn't catch that. But as soon as they show the roller coaster, I'm like, that's the fucking Hulk. There's the gamma rays and everything. Exactly. And Price is being interviewed by Lisa Loeb and Spike from Buffy is now a daywalker and her cameraman. <laughs> as soon as I, because I don't think I knew the fuck he was when I ran this movie at a, at a projection theater like i don't think i'd gotten into buffy yet and i'm like is that spike what the fuck <laughs> uh lisa loeb was a was a musician in the 90s wasn't she yeah okay come on and she was her gimmick was really big glasses you say yeah that's right that's right that's right i don't want to yeah lisa loeb in the nine stories man <laughs> okay okay when i saw her name in the opening credits i'm like i thought she was a musician and then i saw her and i'm like i think that's her <laughs> <laughs> So Price takes them on to Terra Incognita, Hulk, as you said. And uh, but this one's a little bit different because they're getting on an elevator because this roller coaster has a gimmick. Ever seen one that starts at the top? 20 stories worth of top. So as they head up in the elevator car, the car breaks down and uh, they can see out the bottom and they can see out the sides and shit. And uh, Price is all like, well, God forbid, you know, there's still the safety cables. At least looks like what's. What safety cable is like, well, they keep the car from just plummeting to the ground and they hear all this shit break and the car starts plummeting to the ground and uh, <laughs> Spike really needs to turn into a bat or something because he just starts <laughs> fucking jumping, <laughs> throws the camera down and shit and uh, it gets to the bottom and you realize it's TV screens and it's like you survived Terra Incognita and that that's some early shit, man. That's a thing in rides now and like haunted houses and stuff. But in 99, I'd, I'd never seen anything like that. I, I bought it. Watching that scene the other day, I was like, man, I'd love to do this fallen elevator ride. And then I remembered the tower of terror is one of my favorite rides. And then I've done it <laughs> <laughs> without the digital, but still. Oh, so they get on the roller coaster and all of Lisa Loeb's freaking out was genuine. They had to beg her to get on the roller coaster because she didn't want to do it. She hates roller coasters. So they are actually and, riding uh, on the Hulk in that. Yep. Okay. Okay. I, really I was wondering, it looked like they were actually on it. So, and, uh, they see a train car in front of them fly off the fucking tracks and you see price and his assistant. And he's like, uh, Houston, I think we got a problem. And it's like, <laughs> Oh shit, they're about to die. Yeah. And, uh, then the track puts itself back together and they go over it and he's like, looked fine to me. And he's like, passenger number seven, he keeps losing an arm. <laughs> It's a really good setup because Price on the phone with his wife, right? Like, and they're bickering. Yes. And you yeah, think that he just doesn't have time to realize the rails are fucked up. And then the dude's talking about the fucking flapping arm, you know, but <laughs> it's really yeah, neat. Yeah, because the, the first time he gets interrupted, Lisa Loeb is like, is it business or pleasure? And he's like, neither. It's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we don't have enough time to discuss the quips between the two of them. I know. It's its own episode. It's fantastic. Yep. And I left them out of here because they're all too long. You have to have the setup and the response for it to all work. But uh, we see an assistant go ahead and change out one of the dummies on the car. And that's fucking Nicotero. Yep. And uh, the point of this whole thing is to set up that Bryce has built his empire on scaring people. And who his fucking assistant is Schechter. Cool name. I like their guitars. <laughs> Do you now? But this is all intercut with Evelyn saying that the house on haunted Hill is where she wants to have her birthday party that year. So back at price's office, he shreds our guest list and makes his own. And as he leaves, we see the computer 
and the guest list being changed by an unseen force. And we get Marilyn Manson's cover of Sweet Dreams kicks in. And he was supposed to be in the movie due to a scheduling conflict. Did, didn't you say you read who he was supposedly talked about being, who they talked about him playing? Yeah, he was supposed to be the doctor at the beginning. I'm glad they chose to go with the reanimator, to be honest. Yes, always. It wasn't much of a speaking role, but it was such a cool throwback. Yeah, and I forgot he was in the fucking movie until watching it again for the podcast. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, but we get a throwback shot of the cars driving to the house. It's very similar to the original movie. And uh, I'm not going to do a whole comparison between the two, but there are some things I do want to bring up when we hit them. Okay, we can do it at the end also. Yeah, uh, there's not much I'm going to throw in there. The main thing is just between husband and wife. So we're kind of seeing all the guests come in and we're seeing them each one reading a different part of their invitation. And the, this, the thing about it being is everybody knows this place is haunted and those that survive the night will get a million dollars. Fuck. Yeah. So at the gate, they meet up with Pritchett who's jumpy as hell and wants the group to just hurry the fuck up and get to the house. Now this shot right there where the lights turn on on the house in the background, they're like, nice touch Pritchett. That's not CGI. That's a fucking miniature. Oh, yeah, when they get closer to the house, the actual entryway and everything, it was shot, the exterior there, at an observatory. And that is a matte fucking painting doing the part going all up off the top. It's not CGI. It blows my mind what you can do with a matte painting. I mean, they made movies like that for decades. I know, right? So as soon as they walk into the house, Melissa's filming everything, and she notices this crazy-ass skylight. And uh, it's something Pritchett says it's like robbing demons from the mind or something. It used to scare me as a kid, but it doesn't scare me anymore. And uh, a lot of his delivery and everything was all him, even some ad-libbing. Like, he did a good job of keeping that character in check. So as they're all kind of standing there in the main entryway, Evelyn walks in and greets her guests. Who the fuck are all of you? So the damn skylight they were just commenting on shatters into a million pieces and one big-ass chunk nearly gets her in the head, but Eddie grabs her and gets her out of the way just in time. And she tells him to get off of her, and we hear Price's amazement that she would say that to something with testicles. <laughs> but the Price's, of course, have their first of many hateful yet hilarious quick-witted exchanges. And we also learn that Pritchett's father died in the house, but it was just a construction accident. And his grandfather also died, which he trusted to not relate to it, right, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says he died, died in Miami. But uh, the couple leaves for a chat. And Price says that these aren't the people that he invited either. Because he's like, these aren't my guests. Where's my guest list? And he's like, shredded. And there's this whole thing, this whole bit with them in, in the, the bedroom or whatever. And she ends up biting him and all that. That's straight up taken from the original. And it feels like the original. Um, they did a really good job of that, in my opinion. Um, of course, the original, there is no supernatural. It's all about trying to get the wife killed. But moving on. <laughs> um <laughs> There's a quick cut to this thing. I don't know if anybody ever noticed this in the foreground. There's these one. These are called video cassette cases and there's blue and yellow logo on the side. And it says blockbuster video. <laughs> they stood out so hard. And I guess the engineers got to watch something when he's in there doing his shit. Right. I know. It's so funny. Like when they place those in that shot back then, I don't think that they realized they were going to be like a relic in a museum at some point. <laughs> We still have one left and it's in fucking Oregon, <laughs> but we see that Schechter is at a command center. So he's got control of the house. Oh shit. Must be rigged. That's all good. So Price ends up going back to the group and he gets everyone's names and uh, Pritchett demands his money. He's like, he wants to get the hell out of the house. And as soon as he gets his check, he turns down the offer of a million dollars for stay in the night and heads for the door. He wouldn't know what to do with it all. Yeah. <laughs> 
and he, ah, he's so good. But uh, as he's heading for the door, he fails on uh, Indiana Jones because all the shutters fucking close and there's no way for anybody to get out of the house now. We're on lockdown. I do want to say when they say their names, that's when you kind of find out that they all were somebody that could have been famous or could have had money. Because earlier when they're arguing in the in the room, when, when the prices are, he's like, I have people here that are so hungry for money, right? Yeah. And it's because you have like the doctor, which you would assume is like malpractice. You have the ex-baseball player. You have the ex-TV show host. You have... The executive VP of blah, blah, blah. Which is obviously fake, but I feel like I'm missing one. <laughs> Maybe I'm not. Yeah, uh, but they're all people desperate for money there, right? Nope. They go walking down the hall to check these other shutters, and <laughs> they're talking. And Pritchett um, explains that lockdown is how everyone was trapped and burned to death in 31, and that five of Anakin's staff were the only survivors. And he's asked, why hasn't this been disabled? <laughs> and he's like, well, it was on my dad's list of things to do, and the house did him first. Well, you said that was an accident. I lied. The house is alive. We're all going to die. But uh, <laughs> Evelyn makes her way back into the room and reveals to everyone that's like, oh, who do you know that makes their living scaring the hell out of kids? And uh, I think it's quote unquote Jennifer at this time says, uh, oh, you're that price as in price amusements. So the people that know are in the know or at least have heard of him because he's he's big to do. Right. So Eddie asks where the controls are. And because there's got to be some kind of override. And Evelyn says that if, if they're going to go wandering around the house, they might want to take protection because who knows what kind of sickos that uh, Price might have hiding around the place. And this is when we get the gun coffin reveal, which that was done in the first one. But here it's all spookified up and shit. So after the reveal of the guns, Eddie, Jennifer and Pritchett head down to the basement. Let's go find master control because that's what Pritchett calls it. Why is it in the basement? When it's obviously a pulley system, anyways, <laughs> that's always bothered me. Especially since it ends up being partially in the attic, it feels like by the end of the movie. That's exactly where it is at the end of the movie. Okay, okay. <laughs> Almost like he was misleading them, but why would he? He's the only one in the know. <laughs> so as they get down in the basement, Pritchett hits the lights to reveal these crazy skinned sculpture things, and these are replicas of real French sculptures. Of the sculptor, that's all he does is defleshed things. Right. I heard he injects wax into like the veins of dead things or something. My buddy Lance was watching the movie. I mean, he actually is the one that told me that. I didn't even look it up. <laughs> yeah, it's fucked up. And uh, the director had seen it and was like, this looks like the kind of fucked up shit you'd see in here. Let's put it in here. And uh, they keep wandering around and the group ends up running into price because, you know, he had buggered off to the control room. And Jennifer asks about this partially sealed up hole in the wall right where they run into him to Pritchett. And Pritchett's like, oh, no, that's the, let's just move on. It's the red room, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's the red room because we got the camera kind of goes into it as they walk off and we see this little squiggly thing like it wants to come out. More on that later. Foreshadowing. <laughs> They end up walking through Electroshock and he explains or Pritchett explains like, yeah, Vanicut like to uh, zap his victims in groups of 18 or something like that. Something about it being more electrically efficient or something. <laughs> and they end up at the saturation chamber. You got to think Pritchett's the one who's renting out the house. He's the one who knows it. So this is kind of like our this is all our exposition, really. This is our setup for our, our characters. This is our setup for what what kind of things are in the house to get ready for what's going to unfold. He's the inner thoughts of a, a character in a novel, honestly. Like, he's he's best yeah. portrayed as that. Because, you know, in a book, you could just have the person talking to themselves constantly. And this is this and this is that. And uh, it's really interesting how they 
put his character in there. Not so much how they did it, but who they chose to be the fucking historian that knows everything and, and tells stuff. <laughs> I would have never picked him, but he he's fantastic at it. Yeah, he's great. And everything that he's saying, he's like, yeah, that's blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. That's it. Yeah, we need to go in here. Like, everything is like, uh-huh. Yeah, let's, let's go. Let's go. And he's so fidgety and twitchy because, like, uh, this is the saturation chamber. Is uh, uh, the, uh, One of his experiments, uh, something about how what would drive a sane man mad would drive a madman sane. Let, we need to go this way. Like, it's all that quick. And as they go to leave the room, they accidentally split up into two groups. And we follow Jennifer and Eddie. Does accidentally and- mean magically now? I think so. They fucking ninja vanished poofed out of existence in the background. Yeah. Um, They end up going into another dark area and Jennifer reaches into the wall and she's like, these can't all be on one circuit and (laughs) rewires the place. And Eddie's all like, okay, cut the bullshit. Who are you? I haven't ever met an executive that could tie their own shoes, let alone rewire a house. (laughs) And she drops the bullshit and as she's walking, she's like, you know, my name is Sarah. I used to be the the assistant to the real Jennifer bitch that was supposed to be here. And uh, so now, you know, blah, blah, blah. You really tore me down, blah, 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 blah. But she's just walking, just walking and talking. And then she realizes that there is no more Eddie. And who she's talking about, Jennifer, I forget the actress's name because she was cut from the whole fucking movie. There was an opening scene with her getting the invite and getting fired because she gets cut by the box that the invitation's in a little reaper comes out and cuts her and she gets mad fires sarah there on the spot and throws the invitation into the trash without reading it and then sarah picks it up and reads holy shit a million dollars and even tries to tell her about it she's like didn't i already fire your ass why are you still on my set and the only reason i'm bringing all this up is because it ties into a cutscene at the end which we'll get to but anyways so we know there is no jennifer there it's actually sarah where the fuck's eddie <laughs> <laughs> so she starts thinking she's seeing Eddie like down the hall and in the shadows and he's got the blade fucking vampire glow eyeballs which they talked about how they did that in this movie not a single shot of that is CGI it's all done with lights so she follows him for a while and it's like he's always around the corner he's always down the hall and then she comes into this room and there he is standing on top of this giant ass vat of blood don't know what they need it for but it's there (laughs) and he just kind of lazily throws himself into it she freaks out runs over to the other side of it and she's like digging through the blood and like trying to pull him out then all of a sudden she hears what the hell are you doing and looks up and there's eddie standing there no more glow lights and her arms are still in the blood and shit and there's this moment where the both of them are like my arms are still touching something (laughs) and something starts pulling on her and she freaks out and lets out this whimper as she falls into the corner and i buy every bit of it. yes she's so good in that scene but uh After the incident, Sarah and Eddie head back to the group and Pritchett says, oh, that that was just a ghost. Wait until somebody lets out the darkness. And they're like, what is that? And it's like the evil, the festering bad thing, death by corrosion. (laughs) And he's heavily drinking already at this point. I need to point that out. Price says, well, it sounds like we should all stick together. And Evelyn's like, somebody should go find the old game show hostess. Because that's Melissa Marr, because she said she used to have a show and she was looking for the right angle to earn her fuck her way back in. And she's the only one missing in the group. Cut to Melissa in the basement. <laughs> you don't just cut to Melissa. You cut to one of those bitchin' digital cameras that took an actual 3.5 floppy disk, okay? Well, it was a little bit newer than that because it did take the tape. I only say that because this is almost the exact same sharp model fucking handy cam my dad uh, had, not a Sony handy It reminded me of that one Jennifer used to bring to our band practices and record us with the floppies. You remember that oh, shit? Yeah, yeah. That one I remember, yes. That was, dude, we're old. We're Anyways. So fucking uh, <laughs> people are listening to this and like, what the fuck's a 3.5 floppy? 
It's that thing you click on to save your documents. I'm just glad we got to put a fucking blockbuster joke in here because after, you know, the 500 phone booth ones. Uh, Yeah, we got something else now. So she's wandering around and she's filming the crazy skinned things and just kind of filming. And she ends up coming into this operating room. And as she pulls the camera up, she sees a crazy ass operation going on. Somebody on the table, Dr. Vanicut and Dr. Vanicut's assistant filming. And she lowers the camera back down because it's not there. She only sees it in the camera and she raises the camera back up and it's all there again. And they all slowly turn and notice her. But as she sees the creepiness, she turns around and she sees this shaky headed thing down the hallway, which this was the movie that did that kind of shit Mm -hmm. first in my memory. And all of a sudden it runs up to her. We get a flash cut of all kinds of black and white naked women, blood coming out of their mouths. All kinds of shit, like really fast. There's like 12 things cut in less than two seconds. And then there's this blast of wind into her face and she screams. Cut back to the salon where everybody else is at. And they, of course, hear the scream because this is right after Evelyn said someone should go check on the game show hostess. They go to investigate, but Pritchett stays behind to hit on Evelyn. (laughs) And it's so good because he's like, how you doing tonight? Yeah, I'd like to get laid before I die. And she just gives him the perfect look like, and that's her character in this movie. And it's so good. Like you could tell at any other time, her horn ass would probably sleep with him. But since he brought it up, (laughs) she won't (laughs) like she was already thinking about it, but he said it first. Now she's cheap. (laughs) Exactly. So they quickly find her busted up uh, camera and a trail of blood that goes across the floor, up the wall and then disappears. And Sarah's like, uh, maybe she went into the house. (laughs) But they quickly go back to the others and uh, they're saying what they found and Sarah's messing with the camera and she gets it to, to play back. But all they see is just a bloody hand in front of it and then it disappears. Well, goes out of frame. And Evelyn asks Price and is like, you know, did, did she do all this for you or did you just flat out kill the bitch? <laughs> and they go, th- they go through a whole exchange. It's like, come on, everybody knows the whole point in this evening is to end up offing you. And in the midst of all this back and forth, which is all done you know, cheeky. It's not yelling and cussing at each other. It's like verbal tearing the knife in, in the most quick witted, funny way. But she pulls a fucking gun on him. One of the gun, one of the coffin guns. And, uh, everybody's looking at it like, okay, this is just them being them. And then she pulls the fucking trigger, but she misses. And everybody's like, holy shit, it's real. <laughs> and she's like, I'm going to go to bed. And if any of you motherfuckers so much as look in the peephole, I'm going to empty this thing into their chest. And they all look back at price and price is like, I loaded them with blanks, y'all. You got to believe me. So she's off to bed and Melissa Moore is missing. So with everybody that's left, Eddie and Sarah go to look for a way out. Dr. Blackburn goes to look for Melissa and Pritchett goes to look for something to drink. That's literally what he says. He's <laughs> like, I want to go find something to drink. Good man. And <laughs> so Price goes to ask Schechter how uh, Evelyn's doing. And this movie, I'm going to bring it up now. So when the vat of blood thing happens... That's 42 minutes into the movie. Yeah. This movie has a runtime of only an hour and a half. And it's so weird that shit doesn't actually start going until basically the third act, but it doesn't feel like it draws No, it's on, a very quick movie. But Price goes to check on Schechter. And as he goes in the control room, he's like, you got to tell me how Evelyn's doing all this. And he spins the chair around and poor Schechter has no face. He has no bone structure. He has a hollowed out fucking head via the face hole. <laughs> And it's abrupt and you hadn't seen anything quite like this yet in the movie. And it's like, oh shit. And he looks up on the monitors and he sees Vanicut. 
And Vanekit like looks out of the side of one of the monitors over to the monitor where he could see <laughs> Evelyn sleeping and then looks back at Price like, I'm going to go get that. And then does this crazy staggered walk thing, which they shot at four frames a second and then played it back at normal speed. That's how they pulled that one off. It's not CGI, guys. Anyways, I want to say that's the standard way to do that trick, even with your like grudge movies and ring movies and whatnot, right? Yes, that's how it was always done until people started doing stupid shit. <laughs> but at any rate, um, spooky rock music plays over a quick montage of trying to pry the window open with these characters, trying to go find, you know, Dr. Vanekin over here. And like, it's real brief um, until eventually they all kind of run together in the basement as all the lights start flashing and Pritchett's like electroshock and they go in there and you see fucking Evelyn's body just flailing like crazy getting electrocuted that's all 100 percent funky that's not a stunt double that's not a rig under her to shake her body the director said that is every frame is her i had also read the opening scene with the table was very dangerous because they didn't use a stunt double i believe they did not yeah. and they used a real rig to stab that thing into the table and said her head goes here her hand goes here don't go there action <laughs> god bless her it made a good shot it did. Of course, they shut off the power. Fucking blood runs out of her mouth. She's dead. And fucking Price starts kissing her and like apologizing. And it looks like for all the bullshit, he actually loved her. And he immediately accuses the group yeah. of her murder. And it's like, she didn't kill herself. I sure as fuck didn't kill her, which must mean one of you motherfuckers killed her. And who's this crazy doctor guy with a mustache I keep chasing around this house? And Pritchett's like, Vatican, oh, fuck. And it's almost too much in his delivery, but it's enough to let you know that this is what's going to send Pritchett over the edge after all the shit. Like, now nah, we're fucked. Honestly, I feel like that was put in there to give you your confirmation that this isn't like the original. There isn't somebody yeah. doing a second set of pranks behind us. This is actually a haunted house. I do want to say, I mean, Jeffrey Rush is a phenomenal actor. Uh, he goes in the legendary category we bring up a lot, but I, I feel like he really played throughout the movie that I care about her, but she's a, she's terrible to me. So I'm going to be a jerk to her and I like to fuck with yep. her. Cause this is my, my thing, but I still love this one. And it, I don't know. I just like, I feel like it was really well portrayed up to that scene. And even in following scenes it might not be reciprocated, yep. but <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. It's just, it's it's just really kind of like it's heartwarming when you see him. You're like, oh my god, he loved that woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as he's losing his shit over his dead wife, he pulls out his gun. But Sarah pulls out her gun too, and Eddie jumps in and dives on Price. And a few shots are fired. And once again, I'm going to bring up this stuff. The flashes during that were done old school. They use flash bulbs just out of frame for every gunshot. That's why there's no muzzle flash. It's just old school flashbulbs. I mean, this is Canby Studios, and they did have to do all the special effects for Evil Dead 2 with about $12.72 for a budget. So, <laughs> But even in 99, I think this was $31 million, which isn't, isn't huge, but that's, a, that's good for a horror movie in 99. I mean, James Wan makes movies for a lot less with current money. <laughs> This is true. I mean, him and Flanagan, don't they make movies for like three to five mil? They do. Remember that they, they like gave, uh, they gave one that big budget of 11 million that one time. <laughs> the return on investment. Huge. So this is actually a pretty expensive horror movie. Now that you mentioned that. Yeah. Especially for 99. 
But uh, they they came out swinging. Dark Castle really wanted this to work. But with Price flipping the fuck out and trying to shoot one of the guests, they end up grabbing him and they take him to the saturation chamber. And uh, then Eddie, Sarah, and Pritchett leave while Blackburn stays behind. And uh, he's looking through the glass in there. He's like, what? What's this down here do? And you can't hear him and he's just mouthing. And that was all done ad-libbed. And uh, he reaches down and he just cranks the fucking controls up to 11. Now, the saturation chamber is a giant zoetrope. So funny, we talk about James Wan and we're talking about a zoetrope. And uh, inside fucking Price starts seeing all of this crazy Van Gogh effect animations fucking people. And he ends up going into this like alternate dimension, it seems, of being sucked into the house. And once he's in, he's strapped to a table and he's greeted by Vanikut's assistant we've seen a few times. The lady who played her played fucking Gozer in Ghostbusters. Holy shit. I, I shit you not. Both times I watched the movie this week, I was like, why do I recognize her? I can't fucking figure it out. And it is Gozer. You're right. As soon as you said yep. it, I pictured it. And I didn't realize it until they said it on the commentary. And I'm like, my God, that's why she looks so I familiar. I knew I knew her. I couldn't figure out how. But inside the house, that's the best way for me to put it. Um, they, they fucking wrap his head up they dunk him in this tank and fucking seal it shut. And he goes floating down into this tank and it's like big, like it's, it's Nancy's, it's what's under Nancy's bathtub. But, uh, as he's floating around underwater, he pulls the stuff off of his head and there's this one naked lady just sitting there with blood coming out of her mouth and it gets real quiet. And you see this thing barely moving in the water that all of a sudden flies right up in front of him. There's this blast of, of I guess water something that blows all the hair back and the whole face is just one big screaming mouth. And that's the part that made me jump in the theater just because it was so loud. That actual prop was an unused prop that Dick Smith made in 1981 and didn't get used in the film that he made it for and ended up getting repurposed in this and ended up being his last uh, makeup effects credit, Nice, which I think is just neat that it was that old and, and still got used. But towards the end of this whole thing that's going on, we see that uh, Price is still in the zoetrope and like collapsed. And like, this is all the, the house fucking with his mind. And, and I'm going to go into what I theory <laughs> about what's going on there and what's going on later. My own theory, but we'll do that at the end. So meanwhile, Eddie and Sarah are walking around and they're trying. It's like, if we make enough turns, we'll end up back where we were. And they stumble on Vanicut's office. And in there, they discover this class of 31 picture. And Sarah starts reading the names and she realizes that the guest's last names match the names of the guests here at the party. Like, holy shit. And Pritchett walks in just in time to say it's the five that didn't die. The house made the list. Because she's a vengeful, stupid. But Eddie's like, well, I don't see Blackburn's name on here. Wonder what Blackburn's up to. Let's cut to him. Blackburn's busy kissing and fingering Evelyn's corpse because that's just normal. You really think that's taking a dark turn until yes, you see what's going you on. you really do. And he gets out this little kit and gets out a syringe and shoots her up in the thigh, the inner thigh. The needle doesn't go where people think it goes. The, the director clarified that on the, on the commentary. He really needed <laughs> and, to uh, because that camera angle <laughs> does not look like a thigh shot. I'm just saying. And this whole scene right here between him and her, second day of shooting. Why do directors do the most fucked up <laughs> scenes at the beginning? The director talks about that on the commentary. It's just like your exposition scene. This is the weirdest thing we have to do. Let's get it okay. out of the fucking way. So, so you're not building tension to it later. I mean, on. Rob Pattinson had a jerk off day one and uh, Defoe had exactly. to be buried alive day two. So, you know, <laughs> 
So whatever he shoots her up with suddenly brings her back to life. And through conversation, we find out that they work together to fake her death in hopes of pushing someone over the edge enough to kill Price. Now, Evelyn's a little frustrated because she's like, nobody's done it. I thought this person was going to do it. What, what's going on? I think we need another body. And Blackbird's all like, no, it's okay, honey. It'll be all right. I think this girl's close to doing it. And she's like, well, I do have a new plan. It may sound a little crazy. And she viciously stabs the shit out of him. I mean, that's her. And there's a shot here as he lays dying on the floor where he just sees her face and it's blacked out all around and her face drifts off into space. Looks so old school and cheap and cheesy. And I still like it. Uh, I mean, it just, it feels, it doesn't feel out of place in the movie. No. So Evelyn, I love how they shoot her. So now for a while, every time they shoot Evelyn, it's just going to be the bottom of her dress. And she kind of like floats around. Like a ghost. Yeah. (laughs) To take care of a few tasks. So she goes and gets Price out of the zoetrope and leaves behind a decapitated Blackburn. So now we know she didn't just fucking stab him. She cut his damn head off. And the rest of the group quickly finds all the blood from where Blackburn was stabbed and they head to the zoetrope and they see through the glass hole in the door. They're like, oh, it's Blackburn. And they open the door and his decapitated body falls out. (laughs) And there's like a little shelf and like a medical tray and shit that you could see that she had to have used to prop his head up just high enough for it to be in the window. I fucking love little touches (laughs) like that. This shit was spiteful. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, the group is all like, holy shit, Price has gone Nanners and, and he killed Blackburn, too. So they kind of all take off and Sarah's like the one that's pissed. She's like, Price, where are you? Blah, blah, blah. And then she hears Melissa crying and she follows the sound and realizes it's coming from Price. All those sounds, all the crying, all the high pitched help me. Every bit of that is Jeffrey Rush. They didn't have a girl do it or anything. Every bit of it was. I am literally going to go back and rewatch that scene as soon as we're done. When I watched it again after the commentary, I buy it. I really do. But once she gets to him, you know, he's trying to ask Sarah for help. You got to realize he just came out of this thing. It's like it's like he's coming out of a really bad trip and he's hung over and his wife was murdered as far as he knows. So he's in he's in bad shape. And uh, instead of giving him help, Sarah just unloads her pistol into his chest. Because she's had enough. She thinks he's a fucking killer. And Eddie and Pritchett arrive, presumably from hearing the gunshots. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why don't you give me that? And let's get you back upstairs. And by upstairs, they're coming out of the basement to the first floor. As they head up the stairs, we get one of those cool bottom of the dress floaty shots of Evelyn coming out of the shadows and going up to Price. She leans down and it's like she has her own moment with him like he did with her when he thought she was dead. And uh, she gets right up to him and sweetly says her true feelings for him. From the first moment I set eyes on you, I have always, always loved your money. And as soon as she says this, Price springs the fuck up, reveals his bulletproof vest, and starts throwing Evelyn all around the room while he tells her that he's had her whoring ass bugged and videoed the whole time. And, and it's once again, his delivery, the dialogue, it's way too much. We'd put a clip in there and it's like every, every night, every sentence, every word uttered, bugged, like, you know, his, his delivery is beyond what the movie was capable of and him and her fucking saved this movie. (laughs) And as they're going back and forth, you know, they're having a conversation basically. And it's like, what are you going to do? There's so many witnesses. He's like, you're already dead. And then like, you see this look in her eyes, like, holy fuck, he can kill me right now. I'm fucked. And uh, he ends up throwing her through the partially sealed hole in the wall into, I guess, what we're going to call the red room. We have to from here on out. 
and then throws her through the fucking next wall where the little squigglies were coming from. And she's laying there on the floor and you see this weird, like shimmery sand thing start coming out of the wall and coming across the floor. All 100% real. It's just metal shavings and a magnet. Holy yeah. shit. It's a Etch-A-Sketch. Exactly. Another shot that everyone thinks I is thought CGI. it was terrible fucking CGI. Now I think it's really, really cool. <laughs> exactly. And she freaks out because she's laying there and she's like, honey, are you doing this? <laughs> and he tries to get to her, but he doesn't get to her in time. And the fucking darkness is revealed and spills out from the wall and fucking wraps around her. And she quickly decays kind of Indiana Jones three style and uh, becomes part of the darkness. Two things I want to point out here, if I may. One, like his acting and, and, and just to add credence to that he loves her. He's trying to get her out of the fucking floor. He's like, get the fuck up. You got to get out of there yeah. when he sees it coming. And two, when you finally see the darkness, why the fuck did they decide to film lots of naked women belly dancing and just composite them on top of each other and be like, it's ancient hell. Like what kind of <laughs> drugs or booze are you doing to make that the cool idea for the darkness? There was an idea that all started off with the smoke element from it. I could have done I okay with the dark black it. smoke. <laughs> Cause they did. There was the idea of playing with that and the split mirror Rorschach thing. And, but yeah, it did. It escalated into the the smoke and the dye in water and naked chicks with tree branches taped to their arms, all that's in there. But it is all most of the time when you see it in the movie, it is at least all optical and composite. I know it's, we will get to some CGI in it, but it's mostly it's optical. Weird. At least there's that. It is literally a bunch of naked women just fucking belly dancing. <laughs> and I'm like, and this is the big monster. <laughs> aren't you glad it wasn't revealed earlier in the movie i mean yeah I'm, i'll save it for the end but really i could have gone with like a supernatural demon black smoke or a lost black smoke more than this they took it too far it's, it's just an interesting style choice i'll just leave it at that <laughs> but as price backs away from the darkness he knocks this cabinet open and hey there's a dismembered melissa mar we finally know what happened to her and that's not a really good K and B head. That's her head stuck through the wall. I assume so. It looked too good. That's <laughs> yeah, too good. <laughs> and uh, the darkness, and I think this is worse than the naked ladies, when the darkness does these weird morphs and it morphs into Evelyn and uh, or just her face. And it's like, they're here. They're all here. Everyone who's died, it's your turn. And that's kind of cool. It makes me think of Freddy Krueger a little that's bit. exactly you know, what like, I thought. Oh, it absorbs the souls and shit. And... Uh, so price fucking runs. That's what I'd do. I would have already been running. I wouldn't have hung around. <laughs> Wife or not, I know I'm uppercase fucked. I'm going to run. Honestly, he tries to be the hero from here on out. I know. But he ends up running into this door that's at the end of the hallway where who's left in the cast? Sarah, Eddie, and Pritchett. And they're still trying to fucking pry this one window open. I have beef with this because at this point they're using a pipe. And when they very first try to pry it open, they have a pitchfork. And later on in the movie, Eddie's like, this is all I could find. It'll have to do. Motherfucker, y'all had a steel pitchfork. Where is it? Anyways, <laughs> so they're trying to get the window open and they hear Price at the door at the end of the hall because when Price gets to it and goes to open it, the fucking doorknob falls off. Yeah. <laughs> Funky old house, ain't it? And uh, so the darkness is coming up these stairs at him. He's screaming and beating on the door. They think he's a killer. Pritchett's kind of caught in the middle and ends up going to the door. And as he gets to the door, the darkness is getting to the other side of the door. Price dives through this little boarded up window thing off to the side. 
just in time for Pritchett to open the door and get yanked into the darkness Bugs Bunny style. <laughs> I mean, like fucking Warner Brothers cartoon, Warner Brothers flick. So I'm okay with this, I guess. So as the the remaining three run, um, the house literally starts to come to life. And like down the hallway, it collapses and turns into like this giant yum yum mouth, <laughs> which... It looks cool. I don't know if they did miniature CGI on that, but I'm okay with that. So now, even though they couldn't find the master control, Price says, there's got to be pulleys or something. The attic. Now, that is a straight throwback to the pulley system that animated the fucking mm-hmm. skeleton mm-hmm. in the OG. They, they said that. Only this time, it's for reals. So the darkness like sucks itself down into the floor of this hallway, where Sarah and Eddie are still just standing after Price has taken off. And the fucking floor starts to explode and the explosions are chasing them and they're running and they turn here and they turn there and then they turn this magic corner where their jackets disappear. (laughs) I didn't even catch that. There is a whole cut scene here where most of K and B's work went into the movie. Oh, they get to the end of the hallway and they're hanging from a light fixture and the floor finishes exploding and Sarah falls through the floor. And she falls into this pit and all these zombies come out of the fucking floor of the pit and start attacking her. And then if I remember right, using her jacket and Eddie's jacket, they use those to hoist her back up. It was cut for pacing. And that's why they cut one corner and all of a sudden don't have jackets. <laughs> on. But there were all these zombie makeups that were done. Like it's a whole horde of them on her, but cut for pacing. But that explains that to anyone who's ever noticed that and wondered. So eventually they start making it up towards the attic and, uh, The darkness comes and does another morph thing to talk to Sarah, but this time it turns into Melissa and it's not a bad smoky composite thing. It it looks good, especially for 99. The weird veiny face of Melissa and her eyes are white, like out of fucking evil dead or something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's doing the, you know, come join us thing basically. And it looks really good, but they keep hauling ass on up to the attic while this is going on. Price is up there and it's like, he's trying to, he thinks he found the the handle thing. He's trying (laughs) to spin it. And he's like, Damn it. And he finds a stick to hit it with to try to break it free. And he hits it and it just snaps right off. You know, it's how that shit goes. And in frustration, he throws whatever he had that he hit it with and it jams the fucking gears. <laughs> Very Scooby-Doo like. <laughs> it's like, what the shit? So this one shutter in the attic is now open as Eddie and Sarah make their way in. But of course, the darkness is making its way up there too. Nobody's made it out the shutter yet. And the darkness is about to fucking devour Sarah and price runs up from behind her, pushes her out of the way and fucking does the self-sacrifice thing and gets absorbed by the darkness. And as the darkness moves off of him, his burnt corpse is left there and then it explodes and you can see the envelope that has the checks in it go flying when this happens. Conveniently non-combustible envelope. Yeah. Now here's my theory based on the, the, the footage from the beginning and the footage after the credits. But my theory is that, you know, when, when uh, price is in the Zotrope that he was just kind of halfway being fucked with by the house. And I think when the darkness sucks these people in, it does this long drawn out string of torture and eventual death by fire. And we're just seeing it in an instant. That's, that's my theory on all that. And while this is going on, the darkness is also burning. One of its little tentacles is reaching out, burning the rope to drop yes. the shutter that's open. And uh, Sarah barely makes it out just as the fucking rope finishes getting burned and the shutter slams shut. Poor Eddie's left sitting there and the darkness is all up in his face and it's doing this morph of different faces and talking to him and shit. And he just screams right into it. I was adopted. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is so cheesy, but I still like it. And just as that happens, the fucking hard, stinky cheese of, and I'm using something I read on a comment somewhere. <laughs> Corky Romano's ghost fucking appears and grabs the rope and pulls the shutter open so Eddie can get out. And they're out on this ledge and the fucking shutter slams shut behind them. And so it's Sarah and Eddie out on the ledge. I want to point out to everyone, the darkness is still just chilling in the house. Evil has not been defeated. Honestly, it kind of looks like it poofs out in the middle of the room in the film. Yeah. It's like, oh, nobody else to kill. Nap time. (laughs) I can relate nowadays. As they're sitting out on this ledge at the tippy top of this cliffside fucking asylum, Sarah sees the envelope sticking just out from the shutter and opens it up. And there's all five checks conveniently made out to cash, which Price had mentioned earlier. And we get credits. First, the deleted scenes, because what was going to happen is the Coast Guard was going to arrive and rescue them. And it was going to do the same trick of switching over to a TV and you realize you're watching Peter Graves show. Which would have been pretty cool. He's telling this story about what happened. I would have been okay with that. I would at least, okay, the Coast Guard happened to show up. Whatever. Don't know why, but I'll buy it. But they dumped that. They also dumped um, what was going to be the real ending, which was Jennifer finding out that she had inherited some property. And she goes with a real estate agent to the fucking house on Haunted Hill. And we don't see the real estate agent. We just keep hearing the real estate agent while she's kicking and cussing and bitching about how much money it's going to take to fix the place. And uh, as she goes to walk in, the real estate agent's like, oh, I think you should really go in first or something along those lines. And the camera pans around and it's fucking Jeffrey Combs. But they dumped that whole thing because they dumped the whole thing at the beginning. Why bring her character back? It doesn't make sense anymore. They both have to be gone. So after the credits, we get the 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 hand cranked camera again you just hear the shutter (laughs) start up and you see the crazies have price and evelyn on the operating table and they've already cut him open like crazy and they're getting ready to do something to her but if you look at how she's dressed it's to me it looks like the crazies think they have vanikit and his assistant now and they can torture them forever oh because she's in the nurse's outfit that Gozer was wearing. I'll check that out later because I, I didn't even realize there's a fucking credit scene. So. <laughs> yeah, it's like eight seconds long. And that's it. Fucking fantastically fun ride. Best work I've ever seen out of Chris Kattan. It had a terrible straight-to-video sequel. And the thing I run across the most about with this movie is everybody's like, God, there's so much bad CGI. There's so much bad. There's very little CGI. There's only a handful of shots in the movie and they're not the shots you think. I they think are. It's, it's just one the of time that it came out was when CGI was getting overused for everything. So people just assumed it was CGI. I mean, you blew my mind on some of it. The, the little black worm things might as well be shitty CGI to me. You telling me that it's, you know, fucking metal flakes and a magnet's amazing, but it looks like shitty CGI at the end of the day. The the fact they yeah, did it they, that way is fucking awesome. But, but I just thought yeah. it was shitty CGI when I saw it. I, I am glad that I decided to watch the movie up until 20 minutes before we recorded this episode a second time. Cause the first time I watched <laughs> it and, and like I said, it, it wasn't the first time I watched it. It was probably the first time I watched it in 20 years, you know, 18 to 20 years. Yeah. I was a little bored after a certain point. It was the end. It's when the when the darkness comes. I don't know why. It just kind of killed it for me. And I haven't seen the original since I was probably 15. But if I recall, it's all a hoax, right? 
And regardless yes. if it was a hoax or not, I kind of wish it would have just been some sort of they're setting up the wife to fuck up Jeffrey Rush, right? And, and you assume she's doing something and you find out she's not. And then it ended up being somebody else. And I know that kind of goes into cheesy dream sequence that I like to shit on sometimes, <laughs> but I kind of feel like that would have helped the movie more. Or I don't know if it, it just seems really abrupt how it goes from what we got to that shadow monster darkness. I don't feel like there was a good build up to it. And it kind of throws me for a loop. And, and I get that. And I get where they were coming from. They, they really wanted to build up the house as a character and give you a lot of time wandering around in it, wondering what is it going to be. And when you finally see what it is, it is a bit of a letdown. And it's some of the shots, the way it moves when it's like going up the stairs and like up into the attic, it just <laughs> looks bad. And when you, when you think it can't get any worse, you get fucking Pritchett's ghost looking out of place and like, warbly and like out of a Disney movie. Like that's the only, you, exactly. do you know what I mean? Like the yeah, way his yeah, ghost yeah. looks, it seems so out of left field. I'm glad you brought up the, the Pritchett ghost. I believe I read that Pritchett and price dying was swapped originally, right? Like on the stairs. And I think that maybe price was supposed to be the, the hero at the end. Wasn't he his ghost? Something like that. Right. Yeah, I've come across that, that their their roles were supposed to be reversed at the end of the movie and they changed. I honestly up. think that would have helped me swallow the pill of the ending of the movie much better had that been the case. Because it, once you get that first point where he thinks his wife's dead and you're like, oh, he really is just like a prankster like me. Right. And he likes to build amusement <laughs> parks and haunted houses. And he's just trying to scare the shit out of everybody. He has no intention of hurting or killing anyone in the house and then he ends up being the hero in the day trying to right his wrong i kind of like that i know it's kind of a clean bow um i don't know like i said the third act which feels like five minutes of the movie but it's probably about 15 right just, just blazes <laughs> so quickly by and honestly to me feels out of place that i feel like it was reshoot hell to me and that's the thing is it wasn't that's how how they came to it in the writing and it wasn't the right ending. That's the worst thing about the movie to me is the ending falls kind of flat. It, it is a really fun movie up, up until then. It's really interesting. This is the first time we've covered a movie that, that this is the remake, I think. Yeah. Knowingly at least. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, <laughs> it makes me a little excited to do the, the remakes and reboot series whenever we get to that. Well, guys, that's it for our first Haunted Houses episode. So you're going to have to tune in on the next episode when we cover more Haunted House films. They give you a big fat boom. But as usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online. And please, please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbyspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at sbyspodcast. This might motivate us to use them more. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. From here on, it gets really scary.